the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following show is pre-recorded. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Operations for 820 AM The Word. I have a special guest with me today. Her name is Shannon Sessions, and she's the Executive Director at Support 7, uh, which is a, a ministry that we want to talk about. And Shannon, uh, welcome to Heart of the City. Thank you for having me, Chuck. Well, I got to hear you on Tim Gato's program, Live from Seattle, uh, just earlier this week, and I said, Shannon, I've got to have you on. So I wanted to have our audience get to know a little bit more about you. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, Support 7 in just a moment. But, you know, the premise of our program is to, to learn uh, a little bit more about the about uh, people and and uh, and kind of the background of how they came to be where they are in their lives. And so uh, find out a little bit about your background. Are you originally from this area? Are you a Northwest girl or from somewhere else? So I was born in Southern California but moved up here uh, – when I was five, and so was raised here in South Snohomish County, uh, graduated from Meadowdale High School. They were the chiefs at the time. And then right after high school, I went on delayed entry to um, join the United States Air Force. Air Force. Well, very good. What, uh, what did you do in the Air Force? In the Air Force, I had the opportunity to become a firefighter. And the Air Force is the only one of our branches that has its own uh, fire department. Um, it trains all the other branches in the firefighting they do because we do both crash and structural firefighting. Why firefighting? What what intrigued you about that? I've always been a person who likes the challenge, um, always has um, been physically capable, and uh, wanted to travel. I was raised by a single mom, and I knew that if I wanted to go to college, I was going to have to figure that out for myself, and that's the way I did it. And uh, to tell you the truth, you'll, you'll, you'll love this. My first choice after I took the ASVAB, the ASVAB, for most people who know this, who is a test, it's kind of like a college entrance test, but it's for the military, and it's not really based on grades, but it's based on um, kind of what your strengths are in the field so they can put you into that um, job. And, you know, Shannon, me, I didn't pass it the first time. <laughs> so I had to retake it. Uh-huh. And my first choice was to be in broadcasting for the Air Force. But, again, the second time I did not score high enough to be in broadcasting. So I was in the general category, and my top picks were firefighter, police officer, and security officer and I did get and had to apply for and do special um, 
physical application and basic training to be part to be a firefighter. Yeah, and so I was able to do that. Well, I love the Air Force. I love airplanes. I love. I was in Civil Air Patrol when I was a kid. You know, so I loved uh, the thought of being in the Air Force. This was back in the uh, early seventies. And uh, never did actually enter the military, but uh, loved anything that had to do with airplanes whatsoever. So you got to travel some? I did. I was stationed Aviano Air Base Italy for all four of my years. It was horrible. Oh, Just terrible. Kidding. Oh, yeah. Just kidding. Just that, what an awful duty to have to go to yes. Italy for four years. We were on 24-hour shifts on, then 48 hours off, right there in the foothills of the Italian Alps, Austrian Alps. Got to travel on our day offs. It was it was tough. It was it was tough. But I was there at the beginning of the Gulf War. So so as um, our Gulf War started, um, or Desert Storm as it was in in ninety one, uh, we were stationed there. We were everything changed. All the fun changed very quickly um, as we were put on different shifts and twelve hour shifts and within Scud missile range. You know, at the time, if you remember, here on stateside. You know, a lot of people thought maybe that might be our World War Three. Right. You know, we didn't know at the time. I mean, look mm-hmm. at us now. Turn backwards and look at where we've been and, and what we've done and and the other conflicts that have happened. But um, at the time, we didn't know. So that was yeah. quite a turning point in my heart and brain, too. So not to get too deep into that, because, I mean, like I said, I could talk all day about that. But what were they flying out of there? Was it mostly bombers or fighters or all? Yeah, all of the F-16s that were going over Mm -hmm. to the um, Middle East. We were the refueling base. Avian Air Base was the refueling base. We also had a squadron from the Army of CH-47s as well. So some Chinooks going over there. Yes, Yeah. So, well, after military, what, uh, what happens next? So I told you about the broadcasting thing. So I did get my first two years of college while I was in the Air Force. And then after we got out, I finished um, my two years, my last two years, my four years in communications and journalism. So, you know, the Air Force was gonna, wasn't going to tell me that I wasn't smart enough to be broadcasting so, or journalism. And so I did it myself, got my degree in journalism and worked at weekly newspapers for a lot of years before I was uh, – recruited by our local police department to become their spokesperson. So you migrated to that. Yeah. What was that like to do that kind of a, a shift from from news to uh, uh, basically public service, uh, you know, working in the police department? Well, my heart's always been with public safety. Um, and, you know, as we're talking, this is kind of the, the blueprint, the Lord's blueprint of my life of how it led us to support seven. And so that's kind of the route that it took, but I didn't know it at the time. Um, My heart was always with public safety. Like I said, originally a firefighter in the Air Force, being in the Air Force, serving as now a veteran. And then um, when I was a writer and editor at the newspapers, my focus, you know, I had to do government and planning and those kind of issues, but also features but what I loved the most was to honor and um, highlight our first responders. And so it was through that that I was recruited through the police department. And then I was trained to do crime prevention specialist and coordinate their volunteers at the same time. So h- how did the, you then uh, kind of migrate? I know you've got a, a longer story, but we've got a shorter program. So then h- how did you become interested in Support 7? Oh, thank you for that. Our founder's name is Ken Gatiss. <laughs> and Ken Gatiss started Support 7 40 years ago. 40 years ago this year, it's been 40 years. 
in South Snohomish County, in Edmonds, actually, when he uh, he, he was a, a radio host, too, and worked at Seattle Pacific University doing a variety of different things. And his heart, and he felt the Lord calling him to do more with first responders, as he saw and was starting to serve first responders in our area, and realized that they need somebody to walk alongside them as well, the police officers, the firefighters, um, knowing all they saw, all they went through, their, the regret they had in their hearts um, for, for situations and incidents that they didn't have any control over and couldn't fix. And, um, you know, first responders are born to be helpers. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when you don't get to actually help, that does something in their hearts. And he, he saw that really early on. And started to respond alongside them, got permission and trust to be able to do that, and then started serving the victims of crisis in the moment. And it wasn't long that he saw that there must be something more we could do. These folks, it was, it was particularly at a um, scene of a drowning there on Puget Sound in Edmonds, where uh, a young man had been you know, lost in his diving and his family was around and first responders and everybody searching for him. And it was raining and it was cold and all these people were, you know, out in the elements and the media was there and badgering people. And at least that that was the, the thought at the time, right, right? right? And these first responders who were there for hours and hours at a time and, you know, needing to try to bring in coffee or snacks for them or something like that, where he thought, you know, what if I got a collection and figured out a way for us to have an emergency ve- emergency response vehicle support seven so that we could have both the chaplaincy side to serve the first responders and the uh, community in crisis and also have a place for victims to go so they're out of the elements away from the media place for interviews to happen and also where we can serve light snacks and beverages to the first responders and that's what he did and that's how the first coach the first support seven coach started and it was um it was an old uh aid car that had been you know finished and and gutted right and we had they had volunteers at the time i mean this was years ago uh renovate the inside so that there was a table and 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 chairs in there not beds right and kind of a canteen hooked to the back of it uh so that we could serve folks uh, around and and then it was years later that the second coach, which you have pictures of here, uh, and you can see on our, our website. For that matter, on our website, you can see both the coaches, uh, support7.org. And that's the rig we have now. And, and it's quite old. Uh, we will need to be replacing that soon. It's just by the grace of the Lord that that, that thing keeps on running. Mm-hmm. And um, it is stored at one of our fire stations, one of our South Snohomish County fire stations. We're so grateful for that connection and that um, collaboration. And so it's well taken care of and checked on. But it responds 24-7 um, alongside with um, first responders to serve the people in need. So how did you then get involved? What, what, was, what, what prompted you to, to go down that road? Thank you. For that, Ken Gatiss, uh, like I said, he's the founder, and he uh, was one of my mentors. Uh, you know, he was a human uh, who checked on you and knew you needed something before you even need- knew you needed it, mm. you know. And I was a big fan of his, and 
I'm so grateful that he's a big fan of mine. Mm -hmm. And he followed me along all my paths um, from the time when I was a reporter and an editor. In fact, that's how we met. Um, I was on a big uh, emergency scene. It was a mess. It was a devastating situation. And all of a sudden, I see this rig here, this Support 7. My goodness, I've been you know, serving the city, writing stories for, you know, more than five years at this time. And why don't I know what this is? Why in the world don't I know what this is? I have to find out. Well, you got to go talk to Ken Gatiss. So I'm here searching for Ken Gatiss. And, and he just, you know, I'm like, what is going on here? Where is this? Why don't I know about this? And he's like, now, don't you worry yourself about that. You know, we, we're, we're, we're below the radar. We don't need any attention. You know, he was always very humble and and, you know, just, I'm like, well, you must need money. Well, don't you worry about that. We have people who take care of us. I go, you must need volunteers. Now, now don't you worry about that. <laughs> you know, he didn't want any attention. Huh. And it was through our relationship that he said, why don't you come down? Let me show you around. And we talked for two to three hours. And after that, he trusted me to write a story feature about it. Um, and that's how we began our relationship. Ken himself is a former journalist as well. So so we had that connection. So mm-hmm. so again, that love and relationship between him and I for all those years stuck. He checked in on me. I checked in on him because of my um, – currently now I'm also a, an elected um, city council person, and, and I have been through our relationship as well. And he just followed along with me, and if he needs something, I got him the resources to do it and, and vice versa. Well, our dear friend Ken Gatiss died in September 2018. And while Support 7 had quite the foundation, volunteers, chaplaincy, the trust, um, and rapport with all the agencies, it didn't have any sustainability. It didn't have any um, any plans of who was going to take over afterwards. Mm-hmm. And it was at that time that one of his sons, he has four children, his youngest son, Tim Gatiss, who who we were just speaking about, right. who who hosts one of your shows here. He he was the he's local as well, and he said, you know, I'll take over until we figure out who a new executive director will be. Well, through that process, he connected with me. I knew the family as well um, because I just happened to be the connection point for everybody we needed to talk to, and that was for funeral arrangements for Ken, which was quite quite um, a memorial, by the way, and so much love and respect for that man. But then also just to meet with all the agency fire chiefs and the police chiefs and the community leaders and the church leaders and to figure out what do we do next? How are we going to do this? We need to find an executive director. And what are the next steps? Or, hey, has the time come where Support 7 is over? It's done its thing and, and we just need to say goodbye. And that's where we were at. So we made um, arrangements with all the stakeholders and met with them, Tim and I. And over and over, um, there was a lot of kind words. Well, Shannon would be the best person. You're just saying that I'm sitting here, right? No, no, really. I think Shannon would be a good person. And then Tim keeps listening, right? Well, Shannon, why, why don't you consider someone? Oh, no, 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 definitely not. We need to get a good executive director, but it's not me, and it's not going to be me. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not um, fit for it. I, I mean, I, I can't even put my pinky toe in Ken's shoes, 
let alone, you know, think I can run something like this. And, and uh, so anyway, time went by. Basically what had happened, several times we met with different people and different people would say something and Tim would say, Shannon, you need to pray about this. You need to think about this. Talk to Keith. And by the way, my husband, Keith, who uh, we met in the Air Force, we're both firefighters in the Air Force, and he is now a captain of South Stomach County Fire, formerly Linwood, now South Stomach County Fire. The whole time he's saying, why not? I mean, really, who who else? Who else? This this is you. I'm like, no, no, no. No, th- it's not. It's not because for a variety of reasons. I, I just don't believe that the Lord has me doing this. I don't think I'm capable, you know. He's like, okay, well, you know, whatever you want to do, I support you. He's always been really great like that. So, again, Tim asked me, like the third time, sat me down, brought other people around to to think you know he could maybe kind of you an know, intervention yeah, yeah huh? like an intervention <laughs> you know and i and i'm so, sorry tim we're gonna find the right person i know it it's just not gonna it's not me i have other things going on i had my own business safety sessions and um which was doing classes on safety and working with first responders and a variety of things i did that after i left the police department and then i had the uh, work of a city council member still well you know, the Lord always knows things we don't, obviously, and has plans for us that we don't have. And I was on my way one morning uh, to uh, south of Seattle to teach a class for my for my work for my business safety sessions. And I'd been praying about this and talking about it. And it was just the night before that Tim had asked me the third time, you know, seriously, that I should be considering this. And... I'm driving, it was um, during the busy hours of the morning, so there's a lot of traffic on the road there on I-5, I was going southbound, and I'm driving towards this overpass, and as I'm coming towards this overpass, the most horrible thing that you can imagine started happening. I see somebody standing there, like I'm approaching the overpass, and I see the person standing there, and they're climbing over the edge, the wall of the overpass. And they're going to jump. And, and you know, when you're, of course, when you see something like that, your brain says, no, that, that's not what's happening. No, 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 that, that's not what's actually happening. My brain must be tricking myself to think that this was happening. But sure enough, the, I believe it's a woman, and I don't really know, but the reason why is just because I remember every aspect about how she lifted up her, her leg and how she pulled down her shirt before she jumped. And I had just gone under the overpass look in my rear mirror to see her falling mm. right in front of it, what she was doing and why she waited just a moment before I went through is because there were two semis behind me and I was just no 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 I couldn't believe it and there was nobody else on the road behind me because everything stopped of course mm-hmm. from then on out and I called 911 you know uh reported it like I'm sure a lot of other people did and just prayed, prayed for that person, but for all the people that had to see that and all the people who were just affected and impacted by that and wish I could have turned around. But it was such a a weird spot. I mean, we're going down the freeway full speed. You know, you just keep moving. There's no turning around and everything was blocked. And by the way, that freeway and that south side of the freeway was closed the entire day. Right. And in the media, as you know, that's not something usually they don't um, advertise right. that it was a death by suicide because what we know 
is that oftentimes death by suicide can be a contagious thing. And so the media just presented it that there was an incident and that they needed to close the freeway. Well, I carried on to my class. I was there all day teaching a class. By the time I went back through, it was open later in the afternoon. And I will not lie to tell you that that was something that said, Shannon, you need to think more on what you could be doing to help people. Mm-hmm. So from there, I have a dear friend and mentor, um, a longtime first responder chaplain and in-line of duty death chaplain, uh, Cindy Cinema, And I thought, okay, I, she, I need to talk to her. She, she knows me best. She knows my capabilities. She knows my heart. Um, and she, and I knew she would be able to um, give me some good advice. Well, we did that. We went over there and talked to her. And, you know, I'm telling her all these reasons and what I should or shouldn't be doing and, and this. And she said, Shannon, have you ever seen the movie I Can Only Imagine? And I hadn't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if your viewers have seen it, but it's a, I Can Only Imagine is a movie, the true story of the lead singer of Mercy Me, right. uh, Bart Millard. And I hadn't seen it. And, and she says, that's okay. You don't have to see it for what I'm going to tell you. you. You know, I'm just, there's a part in it that I want you to think about. There's a part in the movie where, and by the way, in case you don't know the song, I Can Only Imagine, uh, was so popular, um, not only in Christian music, but also uh, in secular music. It just went top of the charts. So it was quite popular and made a major impact on a lot of people, even though he's singing about Jesus. And in the movie, there was a part where Amy Grant and him were on a radio show. Mm-hmm. And Amy Grant's asking him, Bart, how long did it take you to write this song, this song that has such a major impact on so many people's lives? And he said, oh, well, it took me 10 minutes on the bus. And she looked at him, and and Cindy's telling me this, and Amy Grant looks at Bart and says, it didn't take you 10 minutes. It took you a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what she looked at me, and she said, and same with you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you are ready, and the Lord's blueprint of your life has led you to this moment and you can do this. And with the Lord's help, you will. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And so with a lot of love and prayer support, I, I have a lot of grace from people, I can tell you that, uh, we started the process to build a true foundation for this nonprofit and make it sustainable um, so that when I'm not around, it, somebody else can take it over, and it can keep going and keep serving South Snohomish County and first responders in this way, in this critical need, and the victims and uh, in their darkest moments. So if someone wants to reach out to you and get more information or how they can volunteer or help support you financially, how can they do that? Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, we are at www.support7.org. You can find us on Facebook and on Instagram. And then our email is info at support7.org. Well, very good. Well, as you've been listening to this program today, maybe maybe there's something you've been resisting in your life that, uh, you know, the Lord's spoken to you about. Maybe it's been through a friend or it's been an impression that you've had that you need to follow through, uh, a task or a, 
a job or some sort of ministry and you've been hesitant, and maybe this, maybe this message has spoken to you today, kind of like what, uh, what happened with Shannon, where the Lord's finally saying, yeah, you need to do that. You just need to be obedient, and, and uh, it's, time to, it's time to take flight. It's time to start uh, doing those things. Well, we've been listening to Shannon Sessions. She's the executive director of Support 7, which is a nonprofit organization that works alongside first responders in South Snohomish County. And uh, we appreciate Shannon coming in today. If you want to get more information about Support 7, you can go to www.support, S-U-P-P-O-R-T, the number 7, dot O-R-G. Shannon, thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. You've been listening to this 820 AM, the word special, Heart of the City. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, the word, call Chuck Olmstead. 206-269-6216 or go to thewordseattle.com The preceding program was pre-recorded.